podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Back to Cook having drawn two defenders in Jordan 9. Steve Cook sees the headlines, drives it for goal, spilt, and Ake! Hello and welcome to episode 110 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. At the start of the show, we thought we'd play a bit of an old memory. Nathan Ake, what a player, what a game. And those were the times where we could score goals. On Saturday, we didn't witness any. Well, we did, but it went to the Hatters. Bournemouth lost 1-0 to Luton at the Vitality Stadium. And in this podcast, we are going to dissect that 90 minutes. It might not be pretty. My name's Sam Davis. With me to do it will be Jeff Hayward, Tom Jordan, and also Mr Tiggs as well. Later on in the show, we'll also be playing a little clip from an interview that went out on YouTube on Sunday night. Yes, the interviews are back. And we had a player that graced the red and black shirt in the early 90s for a couple of seasons. A defender, played for Villa, the biggest calves in the Football League. Yeah, that's right. It's Sean Teal. He was fantastic and was really candid. Some well, interesting stories about Harry Redknapp and also Ron Atkinson, amongst many more. He always loved to fall out with a manager. So stay tuned for clippets of that. But if you want to watch the whole thing, it's over at youtube.com forward slash AFCB podcast. Now, before we get stuck into Luton, it's time for this. So yeah, it's the first Do You Remember of 2021. And on Tuesday, if you're listening to this on Monday, it'll be tomorrow. We're playing Derby. It's six o'clock. It's live on Sky. And, well, they drew with us at the Vitality. We need a win, really. So we've got some Bournemouth and Derby-related trivia. Now, on the 21st of February 2012, a certain player joined Bournemouth on loan from Derby until the end of the season. Following his loan move to the Cherries, this said player said he'd be open to a permanent move and he said his treatment by Derby was strange. In the end, he did have a permanent move, but from you, I want to know who that player is. We'll let you know at the end of the show. So we got the boys in. It's time to discuss Luton Town. This should be interesting. So Boscombe weren't up to scratch versus the Hatters in Saturday's clash at Dean Court. Not a great showing, but there were some positive signs, but going down to 10 men certainly didn't help. To discuss it, I've got a podcast regular, by the way, of Jeff Hayward with me. Jeff, how are you? Mm, bit concerned. 
And rightly so. Uh, also, Tom Jordan's here as well. Tom, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad. Just getting over it, mate. Just getting over it. And also, Mr. Tiggs is here as well. The awesome foursome. Tiggs, how are you? <laughs> yeah, not too bad, mate. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. <laughs> because I'm trying to be was, positive. It, yeah, exactly. It was a similar story to what we've experienced for large parts of the season. Bournemouth making hard work of the beautiful game against a team that is in the lower half of the table. Jeff, frustrating one yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, lots of factors in that performance. The referee was obviously a big one. And I think generally we're um, all of a mindset that refereeing couldn't get any worse than it was last season. And hey, presto, there is evidence that it is worse in the championship. Uh, That refereeing performance yesterday was abject and arguably a huge factor in the game. Um, At the same time, we're not convincing again. Yeah, I I think I agree with that. And the referee's performance, we're going to come on to that. And I think it was a mixture because we can't just blame that, but it was a a huge factor in things. A lot of people since then have been saying that VAR would be our saviour and that would have been overturned. Not so sure, because we all remember what happened with Adam Smith at Burnley, where they somehow found a way that he handballed it to overturn the fact that we would have equalised. It's oh, Let's not talk about VAR, but it seems to be the people controlling the game, both on screen and off screen, that are causing so much pain for us. And yeah, that was an awful decision. We'll come on to that. Tom, have you quite got over it? It's just, it's just, it was a really hard one to take, wasn't it? I think, you know, Jeff summed up well. There are obviously a lot of underlying factors in the game. So it's it's difficult to dissect too much. I mean, if we look into the week as a whole, it's been really poor. And we weren't good enough against Millwall. But I think it's um, really difficult to look into it too much because you just don't know because of that decision. That that makes it hard. We didn't start the game particularly well when we had 11, but you just don't know what would have, what would have happened. It obviously um, plays a real part. I think uh, I saw Steve Cook's interview afterwards and I thought he, he summed it up quite well whereas he said yeah you know the the 10 men was obviously a major factor in the game and we did work hard but that is the minimum and we still didn't do enough we've still got good enough players on the pitch and I agree with him there you know it is is really difficult because whoever you're playing if they've got an extra man for the majority it's always going to be tough but he made a good point he said we still had 20 minutes where we didn't do enough um, and you never know what's going to happen in football matches so in that opening 20 minutes if we had started brilliantly and been tuned up, we wouldn't be talking about the referee decision. So, um, yeah, underlying factors, but didn't quite do enough, did we, in the end? I felt we'd done enough to just get out of it with a nil-nil, to be honest, but it's what it is. So there's a lot to talk about, uh, players to analyse and maybe managerial decisions as well with regards to formations and also people questioning JT himself, which I'm sure we'll address later on. But let's go chronologically. It takes uh, 2pm when the teams were announced. Um few surprises, uh, a league debut for Carter Vickers, Jack Stacey was back, but to most people's, you know, they saw the, the fact that we were playing three at the back to most people's annoyance. Yeah, you, I mean, you could say that. I think personnel, he obviously wanted to give Carter Vickers a run out for one. So I think personnel kind of made that decision for him. I think Tom called it earlier in the week, actually, that we would go with that formation and go with go with the, the full-backs um, rather wing-backs rather than full-backs. So I can understand it. It's what we've been working on 
a bit like w when we had Eddie. I think if, if Tyndall's found something that he likes, he's going to continue with it until he doesn't like it anymore. And although we weren't great against Millwall, the system itself, you can see why he's playing it. You can see what he's trying to get out of it. Um, we won't always agree with it, but if he's working on it all week in trading and he's got two fixtures close together, he's not maybe thinking that it'd be a good idea to change it all for another game. Yeah, I think he was also um, kind of, for, don't get me wrong, he's, he's obviously used it a lot of times, but I think it was going to be the last the last game where he was going to change it because of the fact mm. that we had no Dan Juma or Stanislas. He doesn't seem to um, trust Raquel May from the off yet. So we haven't really got many wide options when that's the case. So I always expect him to go wing-backs. I think it's just a case of, you can talk about the system, but if we if we implement it the right way, free at the back's not always negative. But we've got to be playing the ball quicker. We're, there's no point. I think a few people have alluded, alluded to it. When you play a team that are going to sit back, there's no point of having three settler halves. You just all knock it in between each other because they're just going to sit there and go, go on then. Like, mm. it's got to be more purpose to it. It's got to be quicker. I don't mind what formation you play, but it's, there's got to be more tempo. And I think that's what's missing at the moment. We seem a little bit laboured and predictable is probably the word I would have used for the two games of the week, particularly in the Millwall game as well. And we've got defenders that could carry the ball as well. Definitely. I'd I love to see more of that. I think I, when, I, when that lineup came out, I imagined, I imagined maybe Carter Vickers, certainly Rico, bringing the ball forward more and then allowing for the overlap outside of them. Or then you can switch it up and you can have that, you know, um, Smith running down the wing, but then having somebody on the inside available to him and still knowing that there's two defenders behind him. So I think the formation, you can't, you can't pick holes in it if we're not using it exactly as Tom said, in all the ways that we could. And I think there are more ways we could use it. I think there are several flaws in the way that we're we're trying to play it. Both both games uh, this week showed that. The first problem is that with the wing backs, the wing backs have got to get behind the opposition and cross the ball into mm. the box, and that has to happen. Instead, the wing backs yesterday and on Tuesday night, so much of what they're doing is in front of the back five of the opposition, which makes it easy. And then their delivery, when they get behind, isn't good enough. You know, I'm losing track of the number of times that Rico is over hitting passes or just floating them in that's innocuous when we know he's so much better than that. Adam Smith, you cannot cut in all the time, cut back onto your right foot because it makes it easier. Right foot cross into that into that box is easier to defend than a, a left-footed cross pull back. Jack says it was his first game, so I'm giving him a bit of slack, but they've got to be better at playing that wing-back position. The second problem with it is when they do get the ball in, how many times in the last two games have the back three of the opposition been there blocking the cross, cutting it out before it gets even to the near post, let alone into the middle? And where's our players from the midfield flooding that penalty area? to cause issues and offer options for the cross coming in. And I think the, 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 the wing-back play at the moment isn't good enough to play five at the back. We're not creating enough. I think that any team I've seen that are good at playing that system with the wing-backs, the wing-backs are their star players a lot of the time, and they're yeah. really pivotal to it. And I think the main problem at the moment is, uh, Stacey, like, like Jeff said, he's, he's been very consistent. He's only just come back. But Smithy isn't finding form. 
And I do feel for him in the sense that he's gone from right to left to right to left. He doesn't know where he's coming to go. And he's, he's not suited to playing that left. But we don't mm-hmm. trust Rico there. We're not really sure else can play there. But we're putting players, you know, if, if you want your, you want to play that system, the wing-backs are so key. And I think our wing-backs have been off it for a while now. And that, that's been a big issue. And like Jeff said, when you've got when you've got Adam Smith on that left wing-back role, he's just going to come in every inside every time, which I don't, you know, I don't really blame him for. He's right footed, he's been asked to do a job. It just squeezes the game in, so then you've just got nothing. And like uh, Tig said earlier, if you're going to do that, Rico's got to be going round him then. You mm. know what I mean? We've got to find a way, and it just feels like we're playing that system and just kind of seeing what happens. Um, but yeah, it's, it's frustrating at the moment. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, if we deploy the, I mean, people call it five at the back and I mean, really it's three at the back. So it's actually more risky to play three at the back than four. And it's more attacking to play three at the back, but the onus is more on our wing backs, you know, than it ever would be. And it actually puts quite a lot of pressure on those two, you know, to actually perform. I mean, Millwall, they kept pushing high very aggressively. And I think Rico, he, he sort of kind of almost recoiled and, I think he's better as part of that three. And I was actually quite pleased to see Jason Tindall adopt that on Saturday. And I wasn't unhappy with Smith being there because we know that he can attack, but that's not his natural side. And therefore he does, you know, as Tom said, he tends to come in. And whereas it'd be nice to see the overlaps. Um, and what it does do, I think, is when they don't push forward, it then exposes the midfield two like Cook and Lerma. And we saw like Millwall just walk through us at times. Um, there were times where Luton did the same. Uh, and, you know, against Stoke City, people were saying, you know, we're playing three at the back. But toward, as the game went on, our wing backs pushed further and further up the pitch. Therefore, we did manage to get a bit of success from it. So, you know, it's either that or we just maybe have to suck it up and play 4-4-2 or 4-3-3 or whatever, which under Eddie was horrible and rigid at times. But I think under Tyndall, he seems to let the players express themselves a little bit more and he doesn't overcoach like Hal does. So, uh, you know, I think I'd be quite happy with a four or three. But anyway, regardless, let it, uh, let's get into what happened in the game. And it was um, it was an all right start, but we had a bit of a golden chance, Tom, on six minutes where a bit of a misplaced header back to the keeper from Berry, I think it was, nearly nearly found Josh King. He just needed his feet to be that little bit longer, didn't he? Yeah, I forgot about that one, actually. Yeah, that was, was an early chance, isn't it? In the, you know, when I was watching it live, I just kind of didn't think much of it. You see it back, you think, oh, he could have done a little bit better there. It was, it was, it looked like a half chance, but really it was quite a big chance if he had, if he had read it a bit better. It's one of them when a defender makes a mistake, it's almost, you almost need to be prepared that he's going to make that mistake. But, um, I thought the early, early signs were, were Josh and Dom looked like they were causing a few problems and I was quite liking it. I was thinking, oh, this could be something. And yeah, obviously things that we'll, we'll go on to made that harder. But um, I wasn't exactly gutted with Josh's performance or thrilled. Do you know what I mean? He was, he was, he was huffing and puffing. And uh, yeah, what would be, if, that, if he had just connected with that, we don't know what we'd be talking about now. An early, an early goal would have been massive. But um, yeah, didn't happen. But yeah, that was, that was the, probably the, the highlight of the early parts, wasn't it? That little kind of half chance there and you know teams like uh, we've seen on um, some other channels they've said that all they want to do is hang in there and then they will try to hit us on the break at some point and it's so crucial for us to score first because it changes the complexion of the whole game and just yeah if he had scored that it it would have made a difference now Tom just to confirm what was happening yesterday was it two up top or was it just the one or what because I, I wasn't sure 
I felt from the start, it was, I think the graphic from Bournemouth made it look like King was going to play wide, but I never thought that was going to be the case. And he, he was certainly close to Dom. So it did look like them two were, were together. And then Brooksy was kind of in a, in a roaming role in and around them with then the two central midfield players and the three slash five at the back. But um, obviously it all kind of had to change a little bit with the, with the send it off that we'll come on to. But yeah, I, I felt he was trying to get someone closer to Dom, which we missed in the week. Um, we're asking Dom to do a lot and I think it's important to get someone a bit closer to him and I like the thought of Brooksy getting you know being allowed to roam a little bit and yeah obviously it didn't work but I, I could kind of see what we were what we were trying to do to do there but yeah it just didn't, didn't quite happen but it was it was nice to try and get someone closer to Dom um, and obviously he went for King over, over Surridge on the day. I think Luton were keeping things extremely tight and um, over on the AFCB blog they were saying that Nathan Jones was screaming to condense it nearly every time that Bournemouth had the ball and they were limited really to sporadic balls down the channel which invariably our defenders uh, you know, stood up to the test. And then the game changed ticks 25-26 minutes in an incident that at the time didn't think anything of it but the referee saw differently. Yeah, I don't think the referee saw differently initially. I've watched it back a few times. He sort of saunters over there. Oh, what's going on? And I think maybe if the player was holding his face and that was it, I think maybe that referee probably would have given Lerma a yellow. I don't think he was even deserving of that, but I could see why he might do that. The sight of blood, the sight of red, brought forth a red, definitely. and Because there were no Luton players running over to the ref to have a moan about it. You know, there was, in fact, there was nobody even looking to their player to see if he was all right. No. It was only when the referee went over there and saw what was going on. Then the physios were on the pitch and the next minute, Lerma's cornered <laughs> with the referee in front of him, giving him a red card and everyone looked so confused. Uh, and we were all confused. Uh, I was listening to the, the commentary and Chris Temple just could not believe it. Um, it was baffling. But where were the assistant referees? You know, somebody must have had a better look at it than he did. There was no deliberation. It was just the red card was out and we have to move on. Uh, Jeff, do you think it's a case of, you know, the referee sees blood and he, he thinks, well, it has to have been bad because, there, you know, there's blood. I mean, you know, I've got paper cuts before that produce blood, but that's <laughs> that's not particularly a vicious thing. Um, nasty paper cuts, they're nasty. Yeah, they, they are nasty and painful. But what do you think the referee saw? Just well, a lot? I think the pictures that I've seen uh, of Lockyer, you know, it looks bad. And I think that did influence the referee. Fundamentally, though, the foul should have been our foul because the Luton player makes a back for Lerma. He is not going to flail about like that unless he's unbalanced. He was unbalanced because he was being fouled by the Luton player. How the referee can then send him off is quite... Outrageous, I think Jason said, and quite agree with that. It's it's basic refereeing. It is. But I'm convinced. It, I'm convinced it was because of the blood. Because I, I can't yeah. remember. Was it Eduardo for Arsenal that one that that really bad injury years ago? Do you remember against yeah. Birmingham? And the tackle wasn't that bad, but as soon as the ref's gone over, he's seen his ankle was like off. It was awful, wasn't it? So he's just done a red card because the I guess the referee in the moment thinks, God, I must have missed something really serious here. Um, I think uh, Cookie said in his, his interview, he said that he took one in the in the face in the week against Millwall. He said, but there was no blood, so nothing was was said about it. But, you know, the refs probably got over there and thought, oh, I must have missed something. I mean, when I was watching it, I just assumed I'd missed something and Lerma had punched him off the ball. I, I didn't know what, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. But 
it's definitely, I think if the ref was honest and come out, he'd say it was reactionary to, to seeing the blood and the player in a lot of pain. Because, I mean, it was just outrageous, wasn't it? Yeah. There's, there's also, Sam, there's a backstory. Hmm. Lerma's a marked man from officials because of the biting yeah. incident. He's a marked man because of all the yellows he ordinarily gets and because of some of the afters that he does give. Yeah, he's a marked man. And I I, I, I think um, EFL referees have all got together and said, watch him, any suspicion, card him, because he's a dirty player. Hmm. That was his first straight red as well. That's his first oh, no. straight red. <laughs> that, I can't believe uh, that. You know, but, like, if, he, if he gets a red card again, I'm expecting mm. it for, like, you know, committing murder because <laughs> there needs to be some kind of balance to it. They're just, <laughs> don't understand. Jeff makes a good point, though, because sometimes you see it. If Zaha gets fouled, for example, he's often yeah. booked for diving more than other players because everyone, refs are kind of on that, they're thinking, oh, Zaha's known for that. And I do think that was the case. It would have been interesting if that was, say, Lewis Cook. With the you know, it's yeah, it's definitely a point. I think um, you see that a lot, don't you? When a player's kind of kind of known to to be a bit like that, but um, yeah, I felt for Jeff because he does make some horrible tackles and he does something like that and he gets sent off. So at that point, I was wondering what was going to happen. But um, if there was any doubt that we were playing two up top uh, at the start, then there wasn't. After David Brooks got moved back into centre midfield, and ironically, Tiggs, it was a uh, we were playing freer football and you know you wouldn't have known if you just glanced over at that match and you know you wouldn't be counting the players you wouldn't know that we had a man down and we were the better side for the rest of the half I thought we were really good yeah we were excellent really for, for quite quite a long period there uh, and we had a chance as well which was wonderful and I think like Tom said earlier about King in a kind of a indifference in his game for, for, for yesterday but at the end of the day I think if he was a little bit sharper, a couple more games under his belt, and you know, we could be a, we could have been a couple of goals up actually. All right, so there are a couple of chances that um, spring to mind, or a couple of chances where we maybe should have got a shot away a little bit earlier, perhaps. So on forty-two minutes, I think Dom Solanke did brilliantly down the right to to win the ball. He evaded his marker, and then he set up Jack Stacey, who. He could have had a shot on his left, but didn't. And then mm. he looked playing King with the short pass in, you know, in the penalty area, which is the most congested area of the pitch. And I found quite often we're we're trying to do that quite a bit. Now Tom may think differently about this, given our scoring rate in previous matches. But Jeff, I'll come to you on this. Are we trying to walk it in too much? Yeah, I think there's a number of things going on uh, with our creativity, and it's it's a it's a mental attitude we've got. I think as I think we go into games like we did yesterday and Tuesday and we think we're better than that lot. We're going to beat them because of our quality of our football. And I think what that does is that that breeds a bit of complacency that we think, you know what, we can just walk it in against these these players. And that doesn't happen because the opposition invariably sense that we're better than they are they know they are I mean if you read Nathan Turner's comments uh, Nathan Jones's comments after the game yesterday you know he said we needed a break because they're brilliant players they should be playing in the Premier League you know we got a break and and I think that affects us because we think we're we're too good for the opposition and it's almost like we do overplay it we we fail to see the obvious pass and try and do something a bit more extravagant or complicated or Mm. And I, and it's it's really painful to watch some of the times yesterday, Tuesday night was the same where we're we're not choosing to get the ball into the box early. We'll we'll pass it about a bit more on the edge of the penalty area and try and get an even better opportunity, or we will try and walk it in, 
and um, it's not working. And I think the mental attitude needs to change. And actually, it was a bit better yesterday because I think down to ten men, players almost changed their mental attitude and thought, "Well, we're going to have to really put a shift in to win this game. We're going to have to really play our socks off rather than think we're going to walk it because the opposition will get tired." It didn't feel like the shots reined in yesterday, though. So looking at the halftime stats, it, you know, it seemed that we were way ahead on that front. I mean, one thing I think was really positive, and Tom will come to you about that kind of walking in thing that I said. Um, I thought King and Solanke actually looked as though they were linking up really well. I think on around 44 minutes or so, just before the halftime whistle. Well, I think we had about five minutes injury time. So it was, it was about five minutes before the ref blew up for halftime. They linked up really well. Some good one-twos, nearly formed a chance but Josh King tried to square it back it was a bit too near the keeper and yeah the sending off it it forced us into a better shape and all over the pitch I thought we were really good but I'll come back to that walking in thing Tom because you don't subscribe to that theory that we're trying to do that I I, I think it's just I I appreciate what what Jeff's trying to say as well I think there is definitely a part of um, in that terms of we feel like I don't think it's as much as arrogance as we feel like we can just turn up and win games but I think if you remember back to the start of the season, we went on that run without without losing uh, the longest in the country or whatever. And there were a lot of them games. We weren't that good, but it did feel like we were just too good for the opposition. I remember the Bristol City game, for example. We were pretty rubbish, but then we just went, oh, Dan Juma, goal. So it's almost like they've been backed up in thinking that because we have been pretty poor in games and then we have got away with it because of our quality. So I think that's... That's probably something that's that's maybe there um, subconsciously, potentially. I certainly think yesterday there were a few times we were overplaying it. Um, I do, yeah, what, what I was saying yesterday on the free form and stuff as well is, yeah, we probably have done this week, I would say. But on the whole, I think it's a little bit too much to say that we try and walk it in when we've scored more than Norwich, for example, who are top of the league by a fair way. Well, they're not trying to walk it in, are they? We've scored more than them. So I think look at it in the grand scheme of things. I don't think we always are. I, I wonder sometimes if they think... Like what Jeff said about us kind of having better players in the opposition, we think, well, their centre-halves, they're going to be good at just heading balls away. So we don't want to just chuck balls in the box because that's going to be their bread and butter. Maybe we need to be a bit cleverer because they're not as good players and we almost overdo it a little bit. They were definitely, yesterday surprised me in the sense that we knew we had less players, need to get some more shots off, needed to be a little bit more um, basic with it. Just do the basics right. You've got 10 men, just do the basics right, get some shots off, get some balls in the box. And we were overthinking it a little bit. Um, it's a real shame because I remember when we uh, went up, when we won the league, I remember a game at Bolton when we went down to 10 men um, and we were level off and Kermigan got sent off. And we won that game and that was like the catalyst. And um, it looked like that when we first got the red card. I thought, oh, they, now they look like they're really fighting for each other, you know, backs to the wall. We've gone down to 10 men. But like Jeff said, we just all we needed was to just be a little bit more clinical we won them chance we could have gone ahead, and I think we could have seen it out. But um, I certainly can't disagree that we, we were overplaying it yesterday. There's no doubt about that, definitely. One other thing uh, to add, at the same time as I think we're, we're guilty of a bit of complacency or whatever you want to call it, knowing that we're better quality than opposition. At the same time, we've got a lack of form and a lack of confidence that I think is coming into the team. For example, Stacey not shooting on his left foot. Do you think that would have happened in the first few games of the season? Because when was the last time we scored from 20 yards out? Like we were pinging them in for those first 10 games, weren't we? And we don't seem to want to get shots off. And when we do get shots off, 
we're skying everything at the moment. I mean, the, the, everything seems to focus around, unless Dom scores or Junior scores, and Junior ain't going to score because he's injured for the next six to eight weeks. Who's going who's gonna to stick the ball in the net for us? It's weird as well, because I always look at teams that try and walk it in, say Man City's teams like that get told. It's normally because they're overconfident, like they're because they're playing really well, they try to get the perfect goal. So it almost seems like in reverse, do you know what I mean? You'd think a team that um, potentially, you know, aren't winning games, aren't on a great run of form. The last thing they're going to do is overcomplicate it. So it is, it is quite a bizarre one. But um, I wonder if it's the style that we've, that we've manufactured. So you know, we, we get a lot of possession. So maybe the, the, the message that's being sent to the players is keep the ball, keep the ball or score. And so we, we've maybe got a lack of people who want to take the responsibility to try and score. You've got Arnold Dan Juma on the pitch. He's always going to take the responsibility. He's always going to have a go. He's going to see, oh, wait a minute, if I score now, this is going to change the game. And at the beginning of the season, all of our goals were, as Jeff said, they were incredible goals. I mean, we'd, a lot of our goals that we scored up until sort of November were brilliant. I mean, they really were. And you look at them and you think, wow, how are you scoring from that far out? And now we're not scoring those sort of goals. So maybe it's a case of the personnel that are on the pitch. There's nobody there that actually, they also want to keep the ball. They're, what they're about creating the chances, but maybe there are not many players who are willing to take a pot shot and, you know, and take, take those kind of less percentage-driven chances. I think Brooks, Brooks, he's got issues as well with his form. You know, we're relying on him as the guy to unpick the opposition defence and so many times yesterday and Tuesday, misplaced passes, either too much or too little on it. Um, not seeing the obvious pass, trying to do something a bit more complicated. It, it's, not, it's not quite working. And I, I don't want to single him out because there's, a, there's a, a lack of taking responsibility for that creative edge from the midfield to, you know, go forward, have a go, shoot, do something that's not, Square ball to the wing, square ball back, square ball to the wing, square ball back sort of stuff. You'd think that uh, not having fans in the stadium would be would give players more of a licence to take pot shots because there's not the crowd to get on their back after they shoot from 30, 35 yards or whatever. But seemingly, yeah, it's just not the done thing at the moment. And anyway, let's get into the second half. And I've got to say, Luton... We're going to come on to impress to talk about these guys because I thought they were quite impressive. And there were a few comments on the free-for-all from some of our supporters that I don't think they meant it intentionally to deride the Hatters. However, the, the hashtag teams like Luton is something that they seem to come across quite often. Um, but, you know, you've got to say teams like Luton, QPR, Derby, Preston, Rotherham that we played this season are teams that I feel as though we should have got more against. But we'll come on to that and we'll give them the rightful praise that they deserve. In fact, you know, I'll give them it now because they started the second half really well. I thought on 47 minutes, Rico, he conceded a, a needless free kick after Steve Cook cleared up at the back. And then they had a free kick, which was um, which was crossed over. And there was a, a slight touch that met uh, Berry at the far post. And he had time to get the ball down and take a shot. And Asmir Begovic, Tom. My God, what a spell of two, three minutes he had there. Showed his class there, didn't he? Yeah, he is. And he's just, I mean, I'm running out of things to say for him at the end of the day. He's every single game. He's hes just, I mean, he's there to make saves, isn't he? But he's doing it every single, without fail. He's been unbelievable. Um, yeah, deserves an enormous amount of credit. 
as well. And I think he's he's someone that him and Steve Cook in particular, you know, they're the kind of leaders and they need to they're leading by example at the moment, them two, you know, and it's um the more more creative players need to step up. But but yeah, Begovic, they were it was yeah, like you say, it was like a real spell where it just looked like he's never gonna get beaten it. Um and I always always felt like he he definitely deserved the clean sheet, didn't he? But um yeah, yeah unbelievable. And he's doing it every single game without fail, isn't he? So it's run that words to say for him. It's quite interesting that um, obviously Kirk and yourself have been chatting over Twitter with regards to Asmir Begovic getting man of the match, and you know some supporters are almost turning it into a negative. They're in, in, not intentionally, but they're just you know coming across with the argument like he shouldn't be man of the match every week because he seems to be mainly keeping us in games. And but then you know look back last season, and I'm sure that Aaron Ramsdale got a number of man of the match performances. Yeah, yeah, player of the season, exactly. And, um, you know, look where they're at. That left us. But anyway, that's a point to make on, on another occasion, I'm sure. But one thing I was noticing, Tiggs, was that the quality of crossing from the Hatters was so much better than what ours was. The amount of times mm-hmm. I saw these, these looped crosses from Rico and from the other flank, whereas theirs were really direct. And that one chance that resulted in that shot which was saved and then you know Begovic then came in and, and saved again really quickly with his legs and then top right, top left hand corner it was destined for um their delivery was just so much better and that's one thing that I feel we really miss at the moment from wide yeah I mean Jeff said it earlier it's, it's not what our wide players do it, it seems they don't they don't deliver a direct ball I don't know why it's always looped over to the far post um, I guess we're trying to we're trying to spread the play but when you're so close to their goal why are we doing that not really sure. Going back on the Begovic thing, really interesting. I was thinking about this, and I understand where where Kirk was coming from, and that you don't want your goalkeeper being your man of the match. You want your striker being your man of the match. But we don't know what would have happened in that game if Begovic let that goal in. Hmm. If Begovic had let that chance in, we might have gone and scored three. You, goals change games. They can sink you or they can they can float you to the top, can't they? And you just don't know. So where he's getting man of the match, he's getting man of the match because he's doing his job well he's doing it really, really well. doesn't mean that we wouldn't be doing well without him. You know, we just don't know. It's butterflies, isn't it? You know, who knows what's going to happen? I think there's a stat, Jeff, that uh, Dom Solanke has not scored a brace since 2015. And I tell you what, he was close to doing so. Some good link-up work with Josh King on around 53 minutes. And, uh, he looked to shoot towards goal before that sliding tackle from Potts came in. I honestly thought that was it, didn't you? Yeah, I thought it was in. Um, good defending. And uh, Dom, Dom is a good player, but what he needs, we shouldn't look at him as being the problem. We've got to give him more chances in the game because yeah, he had, that was his one effort. He had that one clear effort on goal yesterday. Josh King had a couple um and you know we've got to do better than that you know we had four shots on target in a game against Luton which I think teams like Luton are always going to play that defensive block setup but what they do have typically is they have one decent player and Luton's was Dewsbury Hall yesterday yeah. I thought he was outstanding I thought he was outstanding actually when they nil nilled us a few weeks ago they they seem to offer what we are missing. You know, his his distribution was fantastic throughout that yeah. game. Whenever they got the ball, he was terrific. 
and scored a, a terrific goal too, I thought. And, and actually, that's where we missed Lerma because Lewis Cook was, was faced with two midfielders and should have been should have been tracking them both, but he couldn't. And Brooks was, you know, five yards behind Dewsbury Hall, so didn't pick him up. And that yeah. Solanke chance wasn't wasn't typically the type of chance that we've been trying to create through the game. It, it was more of a break, wasn't it? It was King. Yeah. 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 So how do we score goals? Actually, we score goals well, in a way that the, is not the way we play football. <laughs> so, the, so the way that we're scoring goals at the moment seems to be Lewis Cook, long ball, David Brooks, mm-hmm. long ball over the top, somebody running in behind, that's how we're scoring goals. And I think teams have seen that the last few games and have now figured that out. So we've got to come up with other creative plans than that. Yeah. Now, as you said, Dewsbury Hall made it 1-0. Harry Cornick really had a big chance. He, he ran through on, on goal and blazed a shot with his left foot over the bar. And he was unlucky to put the Hats 1-0 up. But then on 66 minutes, Dewsbury Hall, he cut inside. And uh, yeah, it was a great left-footed effort, curl past Begovic. And that's when JT made the changes thing. So Josh King was off, Sam was on, Rico was off, Kelly was on, Stacey was off, and Billing was on as well. And then we also had, uh, I think, Roro and Ansi that came on a little bit later. And, you know, there were sort of isolated attacks. I think we had that chance from Roro, who hit it first time. You know, Lloyd Kelly actually pinging a ball into the box with whip. It wasn't a high one, but it was a fast one where the striker or midfielder didn't have to generate his own power. It, it merely deflected off Roro's um, side foot and, you know, Forster saved from the keeper. I think it was actually probably more comfortable than um, we all thought at the time. And the game very much petered out. And, you know, we're sat here frustrated at dropping points yet again, Tom, at a team who we were looking at thinking, this is a team where we can have a run like Preston, QPR, Derby and more. It's frustrating. Yeah, we've got to be careful, haven't we? You alluded to it earlier with um, uh, teams like Luton or or whatever. Um, Yeah, we've got it's always going to have a bit of that because of the quality of players we've got. Um, I certainly didn't like it when we won the league, when people would say, you know what I mean, about us um, not being a big club. Teams would, but we've got to to cope with that. And at the end of the day, I think Jeff said it, Jeff said it spot on that these teams, they have a game plan. And I think what Luton deserve credit for is they didn't alleviate from that game plan when we went down a turn. They could have easily started chasing it, thinking, oh, we could win this and would have left gaps. But they didn't. They kept with their game plan and tried to nick something. And that's what they managed to do. I think teams, are, uh, like, like we mentioned about that kind of ball over the top, teams are learning from that. They're just dropping deep, um, not, not giving us that space to get in behind as much. Um, and it, it, it's going to happen. I think I, I always think about... Um, how tough it is to watch England sometimes when they play against teams like Estonia and things like that because they have game plans that England have got far better players but it's always a slog because these teams have got game plans and this that's where you, you earn that's where JT earn his money that's where the players earn their money because yeah. you've you know that's when you've got to think of new ideas and I think um, sometimes we have just like we've, we've spoke about when we get the ball wide we've got to just chuck the ball in sometimes we've got to be a little bit more direct not come in inside all the time try and be so you know, trying to be so acute with it. Let's just let's be a bit more direct. Let's let's get it up them a little bit, especially early on in the game. And, um, you know, in terms of going back to the system and things like that, why can't we go for it from the off, start positive, be a bit direct, and then if we get the goal, then maybe, all right, chuck one of the centre-offs in there, go go to about three and let's make it difficult again and, and see the game out. That's absolutely fine with me. Um, but, yeah, I'd like us to be a little bit more 
direct with it, a little bit more, take the game to the opposition, um, rather than letting them get into their shape and, and you know, find the feel to the game. And that's what it seems to have been lately. But um, Lewin still deserve credit for, for their game plan, in my opinion, definitely. You said in that uh, in that bit there, you said that's how JT earns his money. Uh, Jeff, is JT earning his money at the moment? He's going to have to. Next few games are really critical. Completely get what Tommy is saying, and, and I'd love to see that too. The issue we've got now is that the players are feeling pressure because they're feeling pressure thinking we're losing touch with the top two, we've got to win games, and this squad of players, when they were under pressure last season, invariably they played more conservatively than you know, forward-looking. And I think this is what JT's got to change. And it was noticeable, I think, that Begovic kept us in the game yesterday. He's been man of the match for the last few games, I think. And what does Begovic do? Well, I mean, when there's a one-on-one, you never think he's going to get beaten. You, you think he's going to pull off those outstanding saves. So let's start using that as a brave piece of defending. Go to the back four, because we know Beggs is pretty much unbeatable, right? It's like our fifth defender, but he plays in goal. So play the back four, play, play a more forward-thinking, less conservative game, because we've got the best goalkeeper in the division behind us. He'll keep us in the game. And just go for it a bit more. You know, Be braver, because we are going to struggle to win games only scoring one goal. I think I think you're from the same PR school as Matt Hancock, uh, <laughs> Jeff, because I asked you, is JT earning his corn? And you answered, he's going to have to. Not actually answering the question. So, Tix, I mean, I'll come to you. Um, yeah. What's your opinion? Do you know what the most interesting thing for me, and I'm not trying to cause any kind of division in the ranks here, but after the game, they interviewed Tyndall and they interviewed Cook. And Tyndall said, we, you know, we had, if the Lerma sending off hadn't happened, we would have won the game. We had 64% of possession. We had 13 shots. And then they interviewed Cook. And Cook went, yeah, we weren't good enough. We hardly tested their keeper. You know, I'm the captain of this team. And I personally feel responsible for our failure. And I don't want the same kind of thing as last year. So you've got two different messages coming from. And I know that, you know, you've got to be positive. And I know that's what I love about Steve Cook. He, he, you know, he wears his heart on his sleeve. But there is a problem here, and the problem is that we are just not quite clicking. And I think January is the biggest month, and I'm probably going to say this in February as well, aren't I? But at the moment, January is the biggest month. If, if we don't get six points from the next two, I'd, I'm not, and I'm not saying anything about you know anyone losing their job or anything like that. But what I'm saying is, we know that Max and Demin. Well, we don't know this, but my in opinion of Maxi Demon is that he wants Premier League football. Yeah. There's going to be a point at which if we did slide down and we ended up, you know, seventh, eighth, something like that, that he's going to lose his patience and want something quick because we are going to lose the players that we've got if we, you know, probably if we had to do another season in the championship. Yeah, I get the feeling it's sort of, you know, this season or bust. I'm sure it's yeah. not the case, but it feels that way as a supporter. So you're talking about it's nice to see players that care and Steve Cook came out and said the right things and anyone see the tweet from Arnold Dan Juma Tom did yeah, you see yeah, yeah. Jeff yeah, yeah it was a nice one but um, I don't want to be too um, what's the word I, I do I do sometimes think that I wonder if a manager kind of goes look I'll go and talk about the game you know big up my players oh. you know because I want to keep the players confidence up Cookie when you do your interview you're the skipper go out there act like we weren't good enough Get tell, tell the fans what the fans want to hear 
do you know what I mean? I do wonder a little bit if because yeah. yeah. that's what the yeah, fans yeah, want to yeah. hear is what exactly what Cookie said. Um, I do wonder, but but that's not a bad thing. I, I get why that they would want to do that, but I do sometimes think was that a little bit, you know, kind of Cookie knew what he was going to go out and say. But um, regardless, it was the I, I still always trust people. Like at the end of the day, I think Cookie Begovic, some of our kind of more experienced players, have been pretty consistent for us. I think they're they're leading with by example. Um, is some of the other players. I think Jeff alluded to it earlier, which was a good point about kind of Brooksy overplaying things. I wonder if sometimes, I don't know if you guys agree, if he's almost feeling that burden a little bit, he's feeling that yeah, I am the main man here. Because yeah. every time he gets it, I think, why are you taking that extra touch? Why do It's like he thinks oh, I've got to do everything. Mm. I, I do feel like that a little bit. The more every game's gone on, I feel like he's feeling that pressure on him a little bit. Um, he's not playing with like that freedom that he used to. He, he seems like he's carrying a bit of it, um, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, we're not seeing the best out of it because of that. And I also think opposition are targeting Brooksy very well recently as well. Yeah. I think I'd like to like to see the two best crosses from the wings, from the full-backs in position. At the moment, you've got to say that's Kelly, best, left, best left-footed crosser we got on that side when he's not turning the ball back and playing it back all the time. And it's Stacey. So you've got to play those two in that in that sort of wing back or full back position, getting forward. And I I can't believe I'm saying this, but I feel happier with Phil Bill in that midfield. Oh, yeah, yeah oh, I know. Yeah. Where's the humble pie? Yeah. Oh, well, I, think, I think it's got to be Phil Bill. It's got to be uh, Lewis and and Lerma if he's if he's available. But we need that sort of core three. Then you just play Brooks and then Solanke. Well, Sam, you've got to have a Jeff kind of like having a go at billing montage that we can I get think, I'm, gonna, I'm certainly going to sort that. And, you know, like I alluded to, Jeff, uh, with Arnold Danjuma, a player that we are, you know, that's another flair player like David Brooks, but someone who has produced um, many a time this season already. And he looks as if he's up for the fight when he's back and his arrival yeah. can't come soon enough, can it? Yeah. Danjuma and Solanke or Surridge and Solanke or King and Solanke, I think up top gives us gives us enough goals but we we just got to get that momentum going in the right direction and yeah. that, and it's a mental thing as much as anything at the moment brilliant well gentlemen it's been a pleasure to have you on today much appreciated tiggs thank you very much sir thank you buddy adios jeff once again it's been a pleasure can't wait for tuesday can't wait and tom jordan thanks very much cheers boss I'm Jack Stacey and you're listening to Back of the Net. Really good to have the boys on to discuss all things AFCB and we'll be doing it all again in a couple of weeks time because next week it's the FA Cup. So Instead, we're going to give you another lockdown interview, and that one is going to be the full Sean Teal interview. And if you're a subscriber to our YouTube channel, you don't want to miss the interview that's going out next Sunday night. Mark my words. So Sean Teal is a player who many of us idolised for the two and a half seasons that he was with AFC Bournemouth. Moving from non-league, he made 62 appearances for the Cherries between 1989 and 1992 before joining Aston Villa for £350,000, where he formed an outstanding partnership with his Irish international Paul McGrath. He's a player who's described as the most centre-half looking centre-half who ever lived and possibly, as I said earlier, had the biggest calves that some Bournemouth fans had ever seen. 
Also a star for Southport, Weymouth, Tranmere, Preston, Motherwell, Carlisle, amongst others. He was joined by Jeff Hayward and Neil Dawson to ask the questions about his fascinating career. Here's a snippet. Because Harry knew, Harry knew it would take something drastic for me not to be able to play. Um, I don't know if anybody's... There. I, I once played at Bournemouth with chicken pox. Right. Um, I, I looked hilarious because um, Harry, Harry had phoned Stuart that morning and said, listen, Sean's got chicken pox. Um, he's not going to be able to play. And Stuart went, well, I wouldn't quite write him off yet if you spoke to him. So Harry phoned me, how are you, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I got chicken pots. He said, uh, "How do you feel?" I said, "I feel great, man." He said, "Well, you're not going to play tonight." I said, "Well, I've got every intention to play, and if you're picking me." So I turned up covered in spots, <laughs> and I can't remember who we played, but they must have thought, "What the is going on here?" <laughs> so I played and got man of the match, <laughs> and Harry was like, "Harry was like going mad in the paper the next day about how well I played, considering." And yet nobody was supposed to know I had chicken pots. So, but that, 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 I suppose that's down to upbringing. That, that that was the way I was taught. You know, yeah. unless unless someone's chopped your legs off, you play. You just get on with it. Um, and as I found out later in my career, certain managers expected you to play with a leg missing. Um, you know, uh, and put pressure on for you to play when you really shouldn't have been playing football. So when did it sour with Harry? Was it towards the end of that season? It soured um, about 14 days, about two weeks after I'd had my operation on my knee. Um, and it all, it, it, it all started with uh, Carol, my wife, going to the ground, being, being driven to the ground to pick up my mail. And Carol had gone, knocked on the door as... as, as we all we all did. It was the way it was. You know, your your mail was in a little mailbox. Mm-hmm. So I'd I'd said to Carl, oh, do us a favour, get Tony, who's a friend of ours, get him to run you down and go and get the mail. But go and get my mail because I need to. I'll have things to sign and this that, and the other. Um. So she did, and on the way out, um, Harry came screeching into the car park. He'll probably he, he'll tell you this is a, a load of crap. He'll tell you his side of the story, obviously. Um. Jumped out of his car and started started shouting all these obscenities at Carol, to the point where she burst into tears. So it must have been bad because Carol's not one to burst into tears for nothing. Um, she got in the car, came back, told me what had happened. I jumped straight in the car. Tony, mate, ran us back to the ground and I had it out with Harry in, in, in his office. Um, and then, of course, he wrote a book and decided to write an absolute pile of shit in the book. Excuse my French. Um about how Carol had tried to run him over, um, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Which is quite strange, seeing that she didn't have a licence and didn't have a car. Yeah. But he sold, he sold a shed load of books, and, he, and he, he didn't do it once. He did, a, he did a, a duplicate of the book, a second series of the book, and did the same thing. Right. Hence, I don't speak to Harry. I don't need to speak to people who lie about things. If he's got to write crap to sell a book, then so be it. You know, and that, and I've never spoken to him since, and I wouldn't, because I've got no, I've got no respect for the man after that. So yeah, you need to check out the whole interview on our YouTube channel for the Red Nap Run-ins, pinning managers against changing room doors, 
why Big Ron prevented him playing for England, the Villa experiences alongside Paul McGrath, and also his current career as a painter and a decorator. You don't want to miss that. Well, I'll level with you guys and girls. It's gone 1am on Monday morning and I'm I'm voicing this right now. I'd usually be in bed a long time ago, but I've had a technical nightmare today. All for the podcast. My God. So what happened was Sunday afternoon, started putting this Sean Teal interview together where I've got a MacBook Pro and there's a little green light that shows it's charging. Uh, only that turned off completely. And I thought, oh, what's going on here? Um, yeah charger wouldn't work and i was thinking right i've got to export the file then upload it and i've only got about 25 percent battery left i managed to then flick the charger into a certain position by squeezing one of the bits together on the box thing i'm a web designer i don't even know what to call it and that kind of made it work for a bit and then it stopped working so we managed to just about get the sean teal interview out at 8 p.m but it's been a nightmare because i've been in and and out of power all evening but thankfully we've managed to get this podcast out on time it it just sort of underlines the fact that we don't want to be tin pot anymore i'm going to be going to rapid pcs in the morning in christchurch free plug for your boys and uh getting a charger they're 75 quid for a macbook charger rapid pcs though 30 quid so it's not too bad but um yeah nightmare if you want to support the pod with a coffee uh, you can do so by going to afcbpodcast.com slash coffee we're really trying to up the quality of what we do hopefully you notice jeff's sound is pretty decent this week um we're just gonna make it as professional as possible and um yeah hopefully it will be premier league ready but the lads need to improve for that to happen. Um, by the way, do you remember at the start of the show, a player from Derby that came to Bournemouth on loan before signing permanently in 2012? It was Miles Addison. So well done if you got that right. Speaking of new equipment, I probably need a new voice as well. So just about time for me to say thanks for listening to Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Drawn two defenders in Jordan 9. Steve Cook sees the headlines, drives it for goal, spilt, and Ake has won it joy! Nathan Ake stabs it home, and the Cherries have surely completed an unthinkable turnaround. It's Bournemouth 4, Liverpool 3.
Social Podcast Network.